Hi, everybody. Anne Louise Gittleman here with the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And what a treat I have for you today. I have Dr. Lindsay Berkson with me, who is one of the leaders in functional medicine. She's absolutely one of the experts that I turn to when I have questions about my gut, about hormones, and about the environment in general. And what I love about her is she's still trucking after 30, 40 years. She's been a leader out there, and she's not slowing down. She doesn't believe in retirement, just like me. What I especially even like even more however, is that she thinks outside the box. She's not intimidated by studies. She's not intimidated by double-blind research. She has her own opinion, and she's out there to prove herself. So, Dr. Lindsay Bergson, you have just written a new book called Sexy Brain. Why is the brain sexy, my love? I just love that introduction. Thank you so much. I consider you a sister of the heart, of the heart of nutrition. I just am really happy to be here with your tribe. You know, people don't realize that hormones are foundational for everything, including your brain. In medicine, they're kind of relegated to your endocrinologist or gynecologist, maybe at the end of life. And we don't really, I have a girlfriend that's an internist. She's had her whole practice without ever running a hormone. But hormones are foundational. What that means is they're signals support and run and rule and protect numerous tissues. One of the tissues that they most protect is your brain. Sex steroid hormones signal into proteins in the shape of a satellite dish. Wherever these little proteins in the shape of a satellite dish called receptors are, hormones signal. Your brain is filled with these receptors for testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, other hormones, oxytocin, etc. They literally maintain the volume, the neurotransmitters, the electrical synapses. They help keep everything trucking. And the reason we're more at risk of cognitive decline, being more overwhelmed, more frail as we're older, is that we have less protective hormones signaling our brain. So my book is called Sexy Brain, because sex steroid hormones literally maintain and protect the function of your brain. Well, I'm so glad you wrote the book because I have so many questions for you. You know, as a fellow practitioner on the, the wavelength of functional and integrative medicine, I have found a lot of challenges along the way by using bioidentical hormones. So I need your take, number one, on the efficacy of bioidentical hormones versus synthetic hormone therapy and what we do for women that are lacking estrogen, which is a much under, misunderstood and maligned hormone. I love that question. Well, this is the year that estrogen and the other sex steroid hormones get vindicated. This is the year, 2020. Why? Because estrogen got dinged in 2002 in July when the Women's Health Initiative was published, and they said that hormones caused the very problems we were telling women to take hormones to prevent. But very quickly, within a few months, reanalysis of those statistics showed that those statistics were a fiasco. And it kept growing, but the scary headlines never left anybody's consciousness. And Wyeth got super sued successfully. And because of that litigious success, no one wanted to write scripts because they were afraid of being sued. In December, just recently, 
December 13th in San Antonio, there's a yearly breast cancer convention. It's considered the state of the art for all oncologists and people who treat women with breast cancer. They did a deep dive 19 year reanalysis, which I had done when I wrote my book, Safe Hormones, Smart Women, published 10, 11 years ago. And everything they said this December completely confirmed what I had said in that book. The deep dive said, we made a terrible, terrible mistake. The underlying design of the Women's Health Initiative, trying to find medicine in a randomized controlled way, was completely wrong. And with the reanalysis, women, healthy women who take estrogen, they have a decreased incidence of breast cancer by 44%, almost 50%. In other words, estrogen protects against breast cancer. And the latest information is that the reason the design was wrong, this is crazy, Anne, Dr. Ann, I don't know whether to call you Ann or Dr. Ann. Anything, um, just don't call me late for dinner. Okay. <laughs> it's my father's old joke. What was, so the big deal was that there was a very small increase, what appeared to be a really small increase in breast cancer. Well, when they really did a deeper dive that was presented um, last December, just a few months ago, was they realized that in the control group, the women who didn't get hormones, for some reason, they didn't control if they had hormones in their past. So it turned out that there were more women in the group that didn't get hormones, because this was a hormone trial, that in their past had estrogen. And because they had taken estrogen in their past, they had an atypically lower incidence of breast cancer. So when they were looking at is that so the whole the whole design was flawed and two generations of women have missed out on hormones. It's just so hormones are here to stay. And so yes. that leads me to re re repeat the question. So are bioidentical hormones healthier for women than synthetic hormone replacement? I feel that bioidentical hormones are healthier because they're exactly the hormones that your body makes. Um, there are now multiple studies starting to suggest this. The old CEOs of Premarin and Prempro, when this Women's Health Initiative first came out in 2002, their stock plummeted. So what did they do? They formed a new company making bioidentical hormones, and they took it through <laughs> phase one, two, and three. Uh, the company is called, the product is called Replenish. It's Therapeutics MD. They've just finished phase three, and now they're pumping out articles how much bioidentical hormones are safer, more efficacious, and better. But what we have learned, if we were to go through, you know, spend four or five hours chatting about hormones with our precious time that we have here in your tribe, we have learned that it's better to be on hormones than not. So it's even better to be on synthetic hormones than no hormones. But so we think that there's a hierarchy. We think in functional medicine, which not all allopathic docs will agree, that bioidentical hormones are best because they're what your body has seen and is designed to work with. So you won't get awkward ways of responding to a man-made molecule that's been altered to be patented. But we now see that it's better to be, if you're not on bioidenticals, even the women that are on Premarin, um, Premarin have benefit and protection more than a woman who has never been on hormones at all. So the newest thought in the, just the last month or two is that any hormone is better than none. But we wow. think bioidenticals at the top, but that is a brand new way of looking at it. So tell me about progesterone. 
So each of the hormones has a marvelous personality about how they caretake your body. And progesterone has quite a number of job descriptions. First of all, progesterone is like a policewoman of estrogen, and it helps keep estrogen acting in the best way she can. But progesterone is also very important for your nervous system. And most people today, especially even young kids, suffer from a tendency of anxiety, of overwhelm. Right now we've got COVID-19, the virus, and we're in a pandemic. There's a lot of panic. Progesterone calms the nervous system down, so much so that forward-thinking neurologists now use it in high dosages for various neurologic issues where there's too much excitation to the nervous system. And they even can give it in fairly large dosages to young children, like children with ADHD, to calm them down. So progesterone is made inside the brain to protect the brain. It's a big brain protector. It's even made inside some of the valves of the heart because it's a heart protector. So all the hormones have job descriptions that work together as a family of hormones to make sure that each one of them can optimally signal to keep you well. So are you of the belief that you still need an optimum ratio of progesterone to estrogen, regardless of whether that's synthetic or bioidentical? Because of course, in the integrative medicine arena, we talk about the proper ratio. Exactly. The only thing is once in a blue moon, you know, you could be reactive or it's not exactly allergic, but you can be reactive or you could in lay terms call it allergic to anything, including your hormones. And some women tend to be reactive to progesterone more than any other hormone. You can get desensitized to it just like you can to pollen or some other kind of allergy. And we do do that with some women. But sometimes if a woman can't handle progesterone, no matter which way we come at it, there are other hormones that also act that we now realize as a police policer or a caretaker of estrogen. So testosterone is very care, maleness is very protective of femaleness in the body. So we now know that testosterone signals at the breast are very anti-proliferative. So there's a balance between testosterone and estrogen. So there's a balance with all of the hormones. And, um, and that's what we in functional medicine, you're exactly right, Dr. Ann, we seek to create balance. So progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, what are the feelings these days about pregnenolone, the grandmother of all hormones? Do you have feelings either way? I love pregnenolone. You just made me smile. Um, <laughs> pregnenolone is the parent hormone. In other words, when your body makes pregnenolone, it then creates all your other hormones downstream from pregnenolone. So it's called a parent hormone because it gives birth to the children hormones, estrogen, testosterone, etc. And I remember I got an email once from this woman who said, I hear, heard you talk, heard you, I heard you talk on pregnenolone, and I've always been afraid of taking hormones ever since the Women's Health Initiative, and I just took 30 milligrams of pregnenolone, and my memory was brighter, and I felt better all over, and I want to thank you. Now I feel like I can stick my toe in the water of hormones. So pregnenolone is often called the memory hormone because taking 30 to 60 milligrams of it a day, if you've had a little brain fog or cognitive, a little bit of cognitive issues, it tends to brighten the brain. And it's one of the hormones where you get the more 
rapid result of cognition, even though you get them from all the hormones. But like this woman wrote, she just started taking that and she felt a big world of difference. Wonderful. So the only thing is, is um, it isn't controlled as to what hormones it makes downstream. So in very sensitive people or in a variety of subclass of patients, you might want to be careful with giving it because you don't know which way their body's going to produce the, the birth of the next generation of hormones. So we've covered to some degree, and I'm going to go back to the estrogen because I'm interested in knowing what, to, well, let's handle that now. The, the type of estrogen that you find most efficacious, now, there are trochies, there are patches, there are pills, there are creams, vaginal creams. Is there any one of those that's most effective in terms of the brain, sexy brain to be exact? Um, the best ones are not the oral ones because the oral ones are all metabolized through your digestive tract and then they go to your liver. So they're all metabolized in what's called the first hepatic pass. And so you're mainly making metabolites of estrogen, which in many ways can be helpful. Um, there are studies where Premarin is given orally and there's still benefits from that. And that's a conjugated uh, equine estrogen, a horse urine estrogen as functional docs, we don't recommend that, but there's still studies that show that women get benefits from that. But we don't have as much control when you take it orally. And you also tend to make some of the metabolites are pro-inflammatory, are, are pro-coagulative, and um, it gets futzed with when you swallow it. So a trochee, when you put it inside your cheek, you're still swallowing some of it. So I see if a woman has a uterus, a little bit more proliferative problems in the uterus, because we monitor the thickness of the uterus called the endometrial stripe, I see some issues orally. So I like to give hormones more topically or vaginally, which um, you can give it on the labia or you can give it in the vagina in very, very tiny amounts. So you're not sloshing around with a lot of liquid. A lot of male docs don't realize that when they write a script for vaginal mm. or labial a hormone. But estrogen has about 400 different job descriptions. It's so critical. It's not just about birthing or breasts or sexy sexiness. It is um, protective of your mitochondria, which help you make energy. It helps epigenetics, which means when you exercise and eat well, you want those positive lifestyle changes to reflect in your genetic signaling. Well, estrogen helps you benefit from your efforts so that you have better epigenetics. It's so involved with our interaction in every moment of life. And we just, it's not talked taught like that in medical schools. So a while ago, I wrote a book called Before the Change, and then I uh, updated my book Before the Change, and I certainly did as much as I could to vindicate the uh, Women's Health Initiative studies of 2002. But I also had the opportunity, Dr. Berkson, if I may, of interviewing a gentleman who talked about an estrogen window. Are you of belief that a particular time in your life is the most ad adequate and uh, efficacious time to use estrogen? Well, I interviewed that guy too, and I think there's rights and wrongs of him, and I didn't even publish that show. I was so upset. <laughs> oh my God. Because You're a charming gentleman, charming gentleman. Um, this is the deal. If you start hormone replacement, as early as you can to the time that you're starting to go through the change. So we say there's a window and we call it the estrogen window. You get a lot more benefits. For example, and I talk about this in my book, Save Hormones, Smart Women. If you start taking hormone replacement, you go through menopause at 51. 
and you start taking hormone replacement at 53. You finally find a doc you like and you get on it. You actually, in the first five years after you start menopause, if you're on hormones, you protect an area in your brain that really significantly reduces your risk of stroke, even 20, 30 years down the road, even if you only stay on hormones for five years. If you start the hormones in your 60s, you don't get that same benefit from protection of that little area in your brain that helps pre prevent this adverse event that nobody wants as you age. That's one of the things we're trying to avoid is a stroke. But you still get plenty of other benefits. And my, when I chatted with him, he was saying, if you don't start it in this window, you're screwed and you're not getting benefits. That's not true. We put women in their 90s on hormones and reverse their osteoporosis. I have one lady that was isolated, overweight, sticky, st stayed at home, Got, got her on hormones, got her off a lot of her meds. She started dating the pool boy in her 90s, the pool oh man, in her 90s. You can get benefits at any single age. You just get some better benefits if you're within the estrogen window. So I didn't like that he nullified because we have many, many women who've missed out on hormones because of the, the wrong statistical analysis of the WHI. But it doesn't mean they won't get benefits if they're 65 or 75. And as I said, when I worked in Tulsa, which was mainly an older demographic, we put numerous women, I'm not saying a few, in their 90s on hormones, and they really had an increase in the quality of their life in a variety of ways. So estrogen window, yes, in that you can get some better bennies if you start earlier, but to say that you, it makes no good to start when you're later is, is really being ignorant to the vast benefits of being on hormones. So if that's the case, what about the women that are concerned that breast cancer has now increased from one in nine, I think it's now one in eight, and I hear a lot of my clients that have all kinds of breast cancer diagnosis as of late. Is there any concern that you have in reference to prescribing or subscribing to the estrogen uh, importance? I love that question. This is perfect. I think we're seeing a rise because women have been off hormones. Um, estrogen protects against breast cancer. I had breast cancer 25, 26 years ago. And when I dived into the literature, it seemed very clear to me that breast cancer wasn't driven by estrogen. It's not fueled by estrogen. It's fueled by cancer stem cells, also called tumor initiating cells, which are not ER positive. In fact, the whole idea of, in my opinion, of profiling breast cancer patients by ER positive, PR positive, HER2 new positive, et cetera, all breast cells have these receptors on them. And if you have breast cancer and then your profiling comes back that you still have some of these receptors on you, it, there's still normalcy in that cell. It's not that it's driven by that hormone. It's just that the cell isn't completely um, had total DNA damage. There's still some normalcy and you tend to have a better prognosis. There's now been, I, I gave the first CME approved, continuing medical education approved course. They, they go through your slides with a fine tooth comb and all your bulleted citations on there. I gave it in Utah a few months ago on, on how to prescribe hormones for breast cancer patients. And I went through the 20 studies, many of them from prestigious cancer centers like the Fred Hutchinson Research Cancer Center, where they took women with breast cancer and they followed them for an average of four to seven years and gave them hormones. 
Some of the studies they gave estradiol, some of the studies they gave horse estrogen, Premarin, and the majority of those studies, I think all of those studies, none of the women fared worse. Most of the time they had less recurrence, less mortality if they did have recurrence, so they, they had a better outcome if they came back, and less um, all-cause mortality. They had a higher quality of life and less premature death. And there's a book out now by Avram Blooming called Estrogen Matters. He ran a 14-year trial. He's an oncologist in Southern California, and he put women with breast cancer for 14 years. It took him a few years to get the FDA to approve this. Every year he spun off a study. At the end of the 14 years, he did a conclusive study. And those 254 women that he gave Premarin, he uses Premarin, to had less, uh, less recurrence of breast cancer. They were women who had gone through breast cancer treatment, and now they were on Premarin. They had less death if it came back. And they had better quality of life all through those many years. So we're starting, there's going to be a whole new way of looking at everything. High-risk women and breast cancer patients have been very, very much uh, ill-treated because they couldn't have hormones, which are foundational, so they age more and uh, more rapidly. If a doctor isn't at this point comfortable with giving them estrogen, they can certainly give them testosterone with an aromatase inhibitor. And I have a little ebook uh, on my website that you could hand to your oncologist for him to see the human data and understand why even though you had breast cancer, you can go on hormones. It's no longer true that just because you've had breast cancer, you can't. But I've been on hormones now I don't know, for 20, 22, 23 years. And I wouldn't be here trucking along like you said at the beginning of the talk. I still feel like I'm in my 20s and my career has just taken off because I've got the foundation of balanced hormones. So let me ask you this, because a lot of my of fans out there are going to be a little older on the spectrum here. What do you, what do, you do and have you revised your hormone prescription over the years? Well, I've added to it. Um, I, I do think it's, it's much safer to take estriol along with estradiol and the regular medical community and even some in the functional don't do that. But estriol is a form of estrogen. We often call it the forgotten estrogen because it signals an anti-proliferative estrogen receptor. The second one ever discovered, so it's called ER2 or ER-beta because alpha would be the first. And I worked at Tulane with the scientist who discovered that receptor, Yanaki Gustafsson from Sweden. And then he, he discovered this exciting receptor. When estrogen signals it, it protects you from breast cancer. And then he got wooed over to Houston to a pharmaceutical company to try and make a drug that acted like the second estrogen receptor. So if you're taking estrogen and you, your practitioner will kindly put estriol in with your estradiol, that's much, much more protective. And I've done that my whole 20 some years on hormones, but not a lot of people know about that. And I've, I make sure that testosterone is added. It's not just a hormone for libido. It's a hormone that helps maintain the volume of your hippocampus where your memories live. And you know something, Dr. Berkson, people do not recognize that. They, they've never heard that before. So you, can you expand a little bit about testosterone? We, we, you did a magnificent job about estrogen, but you said it was like the protector of estrogen, and I have never quite heard it discussed that way. So I, I, I go into this in very simple English and, and sexy brain, very, very clear. In fact, I've gotten a lot of emails from doctors thanking me for writing and explaining this. But And, and by the way, is that available 
through Amazon at this yes, point. Yes, it is. Yes, Sexy Brain. You could get it right on Amazon. Um, first of all, one of the ways that people don't know about testosterone is people are worried about getting Alzheimer's disease, and we have an Alzheimer's vulnerability gene called the ApoE4 gene. And if you maintain healthy testosterone levels in your blood, it shuts up that, that gene. Um, so it protects your brain. It protects you against Alzheimer's disease, even if you have the genes that put you at risk of it. And this is very, very replicated data that's come out of Japan. And I write about all this data in Sexy Brain because you want to keep your brain sexy and cognitively bright. But the other thing is that um, testosterone, I love to say that maleness protects femaleness. And that's because as test, all hormones are made or you take them in from a hormone therapy and then your body metabolizes them and they go, they get metabolized into certain steps and many of those metabolites have function so the main hormone has a function and then you metabolize it and each of those metabolites have a function so testosterone that's the parent hormone and then it's broken down into DHT and then 3 beta diol and that 3 beta diol acts just like estriol and it binds with that really healthy anti-cancer estrogen receptor. So at the breast, testosterone protects against breast cancer by its metabolite by signaling to, a, to the cells that make you have lower risk of breast cancer. And we can, it does this so much that there's now human studies giving testosterone to breast cancer patients to make sure that they have less risk of recurrence at their breast or they have a better outcome during their surgery. Or there was even one case report where they gave testosterone be before surgery and after to show that it even shrunk the size of the tumor by its signaling this estrogen receptor beta. But then Testosterone can go to estrogen or testosterone, so while you use it in that way, you have to block its ability to make more estrogen. So it's given with something called an aromatase inhibitor. That's how the studies in which it's tested on breast cancer patients are written. And in functional medicine, we give very, very high dose melatonin, which is a natural aromatase inhibitor. I hope that wasn't too much. No, it's excellent information. I'm just... Okay eating it up, so to speak, and so will all my tribe out there. Um, but you know, part of staying well as you age, Dr. Ann, is keeping the volume of your hippocampus, because that's kind of the analogy of your soul. That's where your memories live and your sense of who you are and your motivation, and that shrinks as you get more cognitively challenged, and it, you actually have hippocampal shrinkage or atrophy, that's a scientific term, that's part of the Alzheimer or cognitive decline presentation. But testosterone, along with the other hormones, as it signals the hippocampus, they maintain the volume. It mainly shrinks because you have less hormones on board as you age. And at the McGill University, at their Department of Psychiatry, they actually measured the volume of the hippocampus in aging people, and they, they noted their frailty, their ability to remember, their, how straight they walked, and they gave injections of estrogen to the women and testosterone to the men. And in just five, six weeks, the volume started to increase again. It improves. You could be outside the estrogen window and still get 
help for your hippocampus. And then people started to have faster memory, walk a little straighter. I mean, they got huge rewards for this research, which I don't know why it didn't make headline news because hormones help maintain this precious volume of the hippocampus, which keep you younger, longer. So when we talk about estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, we're talking either about the bioidentical forms or the hormone replacement therapy forms. There are a lot of individuals out there, a lot of my fans, and I'm sure many of yours, who are very... Uh, engaged and very intrigued with the use of herbs to mimic these particular hormones. So can you speak to some of the estrogenetic herbs out there? Are they as efficacious as either the bioidentical or synthetic hormones in, in estrogen replacement therapy or progesterone replacement therapy or even testosterone replacement therapy? What, is, what do you feel about herbs? What do you think about them? Are they helpful? Are they not? Are they not as medically sound, not as nutritionally. That is such a great question. So if you're having hot flashes, you're going through menopausal transition, herbs can be helpful. Herbs are certainly helpful. There's a few studies where some herbal preparations that are supposed to boost your own production of testosterone have shown a significant increase in blood levels of testosterone. But really, as you're aging, nothing helps as much as hormone replacement. Nothing, in my opinion. You really get the biggest bang for your buck. It's the most powerful anti-aging tool that we have. And no herb, in my opinion, is going to work to really maintain the volume of your hippocampus. The studies that got really lost, that was terrible, because that Women's Health Initiative, which was totally wrong, but made he scary headlines, in the summer of 2002, a few months later in October of that year, a series of studies came out of Cache County, Utah, where they looked at almost 10,000 people who didn't have dementia and looked at them over the next 10 years to see who got what and what they had, were on. And they saw that if women had been on estrogen for at least 10 years, they had a 50% decreased incidence of Alzheimer's disease. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that protects your brain as much as hormones. Now, I still take some herbs that are protective for the brain or mushrooms that are protective because you want to do a lot of things because health is a tapestry. But nothing is, in my opinion, nothing is as powerful and you don't want to age without it, without getting your hormones tested individually and then a treatment program worked out for you individually. And women are a little tougher than men. It might take a few months to a year to get your best program. And then it morphs a little bit over the years as more is known or your body changes. You just asked me how my hormone protocol has changed. I didn't absorb them well on the skin. Not everybody does. So I now take them vaginally and labelly, And I've added oxytocin to that mix. And... Um, I've added more testosterone to the mix because I know it protects my brain. And we didn't get into it. We probably won't have time in the show, but it also protects the immune system in your gut where most of your immune system lives. So I'm a big fan of, I think if they're more important than food, than exercise, I think you need to do it all. But I think they're more important than anything. Well, you're certainly a, uh, not just an advocate, but if people took a look at you, 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 how old are you? 
<laughs> I'm going to be 72. Well, you don't look older than 40. <laughs> so you're a walking, you're a walking example of walking the walk, talking the talk and doing what you believe in. And not only do you look the part in so many ways, but I know you have a history behind you. And I'm just wondering if you could share that with our listeners. How did hormones become such an important part of your mission? Well, you know, I was in hormones before I knew anything about my health history or um, I did my first rotation in integrative medicine with Dr. Jonathan Wright in 1977. Alan Gaby was a medical student and um, in Baltimore, and he and I were the two students in his rotation at that time. And Jonathan, the next year, opened up his Meridian Laboratory and started testing hormones. And then I think within a very short time, he became known as the father of bioidentical hormones. So I was taught from when I was still a student that hormones were foundational. So I had this consciousness and this love of hormones. And I didn't know um, about my own health. And this is an interesting story. So I most people, Dr. Ann, get into health because they live the typical American diet, get ill, can't get well, find functional medicine, the clouds part, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir plays, and you feel <laughs> like you're a born-again functional person. <laughs> but I was different. I, I, my mother was an athlete, state champion in Illinois, so I was always an athlete. If I didn't go out and exercise, she, she hit me on the bottom. And I heard a lecture that you are what you eat at a Theosophical Society meeting in Northern California when I was 16 by Scott Nearing, who's considered to be the father of organic gardening. I went and lived with him and Elliot Coleman and learned organic gardening as a young woman. So all through my life, I raised my own food. I had goats all through school and made my own goat products, but I kept getting cancers. And I was doing, I was a yoga teacher, lived in India, was meditating, doing forgiveness, doing detox, eating organic, was an athlete, and I kept getting cancers. So everyone would say when I got cancer, if cancer's a call to change, maybe you should just eat chocolate bars because this is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. So I never, no one could explain to me why I kept getting tumors and I've lost eight organs, because every time in my early career, I'd have a cancer that, you know, you'd lose that organ and you'd have to go through therapies. And so I read an article in the 1990s that pollutants in our environment, like pesticides and so forth, could go into our body and act like a hormone, a fake hormone, and disrupt our hormone signals. And I had learned from Dr. Wright and now from my practice that hormones were foundational. And these were called endocrine disruptors. And this was in the 90s when no one had ever heard of that term. So I decided this was huge. And I wanted to write a book on it. And as I was writing this book, which McGraw-Hill, uh, most people turned me down and said, no one really cares about pollutants that act like hormones. Of course, now they're huge. Now they're considered <laughs> a major threat to humanity. Curve. So um, as I was, I researched that book for six years because at that time, it was a, a, just a birthing field. And based on that book, I was invited to be a hormone scholar at an environmental estrogen think tank with all the scientists who created this field. And as I was the model compound to see if the plastics that you use in your everyday life or the carpet off-gassing that you have in your home 
or the brand new car smell that you have, those chemicals, to see if those can disrupt your hormones, they have a model compound they compare it to. So it's called a model compound. And that compound is, has a long name, diethylstabestrol, but its acronym is DES. And so animals that are exposed in the womb, that's how they, it, they started to test it, was they would take pregnant animals and expose them to DES, which is very powerful estrogen, 50 times more powerful than our own. And they would look at the outcomes in these animals. And the animals had all these tumors and issues, and they were the exact same cancers I had and the exact same issues I had. And I was writing this book and realizing this, and I went, oh my God, like maybe this is what happened. And DES was given as a prenatal vitamin to make pregnancies healthier, or if you were spotting and it seemed that you were threatening to lose your pregnancy from 1938 to 1971, it was given to multiple, multiple millions of pregnant women until it was banned as the most cancer-causing substance ever invented. Mm. And um, Sir Charles Dobbs, who invented it, went on to invent plastics. Which is why plastics are very estrogenic. He loved the shape of the estrogen molecule. So when I saw that these animals where they're testing endocrine disruptors had the same issues I did, I asked my mother, did, was she given DES when she was pregnant with me? And like most mothers given it, they don't even know what they were given. And she said, of course, no, I would never hurt you. But I wrote away from my birth records and I was born at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago. And I luckily and luckily got them six months before they shredded them all. And the package came and with shaking hands, I opened it up and there was a microfiche film printout of my birth records. And there it was that my mother was given shots and pills in the first trimester of diethylstabestrol. Oh so I was a victim of the very phenomena I was writing a book on, but I didn't know it. And writing the book led to the pr process that helped me finally stop my tumor madness. So being a functional doctor, you want to know what's the root cause of your illness. If we can get some sense of the root causes and address those, perhaps we can put your illness in your rear view mirror. So now I knew why I could be an exerciser, an organic eater, a meditator, but still be growing tumors. So I read up on how they theorized DES caused cancer because a lot of DES offspring, most of the women my age exposed to most of the, the amount of DES, many of them are dead. I'm really one of the few women with the degree of exposure that I've had that's still alive. So I think all of that living, good living, helped me out. Dead. But I discovered that DES ruins tumor suppressor genes. We have these genes that protect us against cancer. So they're called tumor suppressor genes. If a cancer cell comes up, they suppress it. Well, DES damages two specific tumor suppressor genes. P53 and WIN7. So that was like, oh my God, I got to look through the literature and see what might reconstitute those genes. Is there anything? Well, it turns out that the final metabolite of estrogen, as it's being, remember we talked about estrogen gets metabolized. The final metabolite of estrogen upregulates or boosts the production of both of these. It's hard to believe, but of both of these a tumor suppressor gene. So I 
told Dr. Wright, I want us to write me a script for a bioidentical form of 2-methoxyestradiol. Nobody else had ever written a bioidentical form for this in the world. And we didn't even know the dosage. We had to sit down and figure out, well, what is the dosage we're going to write for this thing? And I've been on it now for um, many, many years. And I have not, I have to knock on wood, not had another tumor since I've been on it. And now I teach on it. And um, a lot of my patients have been on it. It's very hard to get. And I'm wanting to write a monograph on it for the FDA, because if there's a monograph, it might be more available to people. But I, my life has been ruined by hormones. The DES in the womb was a powerful estrogen, and it's been saved by hormones. Oh, so it's kind of my fate, my mission. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. Just a beautiful story. So as we start to end up our wonderful discussion here, You've really illuminated so many areas, Dr. Lindsay Berkson, uh, and I want to just review them for our listeners. So number one, this is going to be the decade, would you say, not just the year, but the roaring 20s will be the decade that estrogen will finally be vindicated. Because if you were to talk about the five most important facets of estrogen, what would they be in review? Um, they protect your brain. Protect your brain. They protect your colon protect your colon. They protect the cells that make stomach acid. Protect the cells that make stomach. I've never heard that before. That's yep, a big there's, It's a very, in my, I have a textbook I've been writing on nutritional gastroenterology and I have a whole segment on that. They protect your breasts. Protect your breast. And they protect your energy organelles, your mitochondria. And it protects your mitochondria, those little power plants inside every cell. So that's what's so important about estrogen. So don't be afraid of estrogen. Just get the right form for your system. Tell me about progesterone, which needs to be in balance with estrogen. Why is progesterone important? You said something which I found really, really fascinating, and that is that it's almost like a healing bomb for the nervous system. Yes. And there's a lot of anti-progestin pollutants in the environment. We think of endocrine disruptors as mainly being estrogen disruptors, but that's mainly where the money has gone for the research. But your um, testosterone, progesterone, insulin receptors, all of these receptors, your thyroid receptors are very greatly influenced by pollutants. Even your oxytocin, your feel-good-with-the-world receptors are very prone to endocrine disruption. Um, for example, the lining of cans is very disruptive to your oxytocin receptor. I think most many oxytocin receptors are dysfunctional today, leading to anxiety, feeling depression, feeling, even though we live in the land of so much wonderfulness, people often feel like it's not enough and I'm unhappy. And part of that is due to problems um, with the oxytocin receptor. So all of these hormones are assaulted now by our dirty planet. And we're seeing hormonal issues and insufficiencies at younger and younger ages. We're seeing perimenopause in a few cases in their late 20s. Um, Harvard School of Pediatrics did a study that was presented, it wasn't published yet, where they took girls 14 to 20 years old, Dr. Ann, and measured their estrogen and they were insufficient. And these were girls that were exercising a lot, had very little body fat or body dysphoria or a lot of anxiety. They gave these girls an estrace patch. 
an estrogen patch from 14 years old to 20 for a year. And they published that most of those girls felt better. So our dirty planet is changing and redefining our understanding of hormones. It's not just a middle-aged and older thing, although that is very important to embrace as you age. What a good point to make. What would you say then about testosterone and pregnenolone? Well, testosterone is well, in the literature, it's been well established that there's a testosterone deficiency epidemic in younger and younger males. Young men are constantly talking now about, well, I've been eating a lot of junk food these days and sitting a lot, so I'm just not as erectile function, functioning as I could, and I could be better. It's like this in the language because it's really happening. Because it's so and common, yes. It is. Um, I'm still dating, and I'm dating younger guys because a lot of the older guys want younger women. <laughs> the younger guys are comfortable with older women. So I talk a lot these days. I'm interacting a lot with young men. And this is, it's an issue. And it wasn't an issue when I was a younger woman dating younger men way back when. Boy, what an interesting observation. Interesting observation. So as we, as we end this wonderful episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, will you tell us all about the new book that you're coming out with? I understand there's a new tome that will be out this year and where people can find you, Dr. Lindsay Bergson. Okay. And nobody can tell my age because I'm still lying on all the dating apps. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, my newest book is on oxytocin. And it's going to be called probably Orgasms Heal because oxytocin is the love hormone. We release it when we orgasm, but it has many medicinal uses. There's a huge chapter on the gut, for example, and using oxytocin as a, in a liquid form for esophageal disorders as, as an alternative to proton pump inhibitors. Ooh. So it's a very interesting book. Ooh. Um, isn't that interesting? So I've, do I've been teaching oxytocin for CMEs for about eight or nine years now to, to pharmacists and um, to medical doctors, but it's a team player. So if you don't have a lot of things in place, you can take it and not get any benefit. So not everybody that prescribes it and uses it gets benefits. So there's an art, a nuanced start to taking it right. So it's all described in the book. I love it. And that's going to be out in the spring of 2020 of this year. Not exactly sure. I'm working on it now because we're all indoors with COVID. So it's, I got <laughs> the first round back from my editor and I got sidetracked by putting out a paper and a podcast on COVID-19. So now I'm going to go back to the oxytocin book. Um, you can reach me and find out what's going on at drlindsayberkson.com, D-R-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. B-E-R-K-S-O-N. And you can join for free my tribe just to find out when things are happening, like the oxytocin book coming out. And I've got a podcast that you've been on. And I want you to come back and be on my podcast again. Everybody loves you so much every time you're on. And my podcast is called Dr. Berkson's Best Health Radio. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Stay tuned, everybody, for our next episode. And I want everybody to get that oxytocin book and pick up Sexy Brain by our wonderful Dr. Lindsay Berkson. She's 39 and holding, and she will be so for a very long time. God bless you. I love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for letting me talk to your tribe. I really appreciate it very My much. Pleasure. Be well, everybody. Be well.